The vicious voices of the right are out in full force, and it's time for us to get up and organize against the heartless attacks on our civil rights. Start your morning diving into the headlines and issues that matter to our everyday lives, speaking with changemakers and hearing from you, our listeners. Hear your host, Zerlina Maxwell, break down the top news, push for solutions from officials who represent us, and call out the misinformation and hypocrisy that surrounds us, plus the engaging stories that keep you energized. Get your morning boost of politics, culture, and everything you need to start your day. It's always darkest before the dawn, but the dawn is here. Shining a light on the ruthless forces across the aisle and rising for a brighter future for all of us. This is Mornings with Zerlina. Welcome to Mornings with Zerlina. I am Zerlina Maxwell, and I am joined by sisters Attica and Tembi Locke, who created this limited series for Netflix, From Scratch, based on Tembi's book, From Scratch, by the same name, New York Times bestseller. It's an incredible story. I mean, it's almost like it sounds untrue like it doesn't sound true but it, it really happened to you um Tembi so thank you both for being here I I'm so happy uh to have you here thank you thank you so much so I I want to start with Tembi I mean one of the things about your story that resonated with me um you know I love the the scene in the show when your parents are kind of like you're not going to go back to law school. Like I took time off from law school too, but, um, you know, I, I didn't go to Italy. I probably should have, maybe the, my life would have been different. I ended up, I went to go work for Barack Obama. That's what I did in my brain. Oh, well, okay. oh, come on. Well, yeah. For yeah. the campaign. Um, so here I am today, but, um, oh my gosh, but, I love but, I, but I love the idea of going to Italy. I've done a solo trip to, to Italy, to Florence, and it's such a beautiful place in so many ways. I mean, the food, the culture, the art, um, talk a bit about the origin story of what we see in this limited series of why you decided to pick up and go to Italy. Yes. Um, first of all, thank you for, for the question. I, you know, I was so different from Amy in the series who law school is taking a sabbatical, if you will. Mm -hmm. I was actually an undergraduate. Right. Um, and I was it was a study abroad junior year. I was an art history major. And, you know, quite frankly, it was all sort of happenstance um, in terms of, you know, the, the circumstances of it. I to fulfill my major. I had to be proficient in a language and mm -hmm. I languages of, were French, German, or Italian. And I thought I'm never going to speak German in my entire life <laughs> and French. I was like, Oh, and I said, but Italy, I like pizza. It was as, <laughs> as basic. I was as basic as I like pizza. <laughs> I was like, I'm getting, okay, Italy. And it was just, and, and I happened, so I started taking Italian classes on campus and it became very evident quickly that the only way I was going to pick up language was to actually go study there. So I learned about the study abroad program and I land in Florence. And Sloan, who you meet in the mm -hmm. series, there's an, the actual person that's based on, she was someone that I was connected with through someone back on campus. And she opened up this world for me in Florence. And soon thereafter, I met my late husband, Sato. So it was truly pizza 
is what got me. <laughs> I love pizza too. I mean, I can kind of relate to that whole reasoning. Um, and yeah, Florence, it was really yeah. Florence is like it is. It's so picturesque when you go to Florence. I've I have been to Florence. It was one of the trips I took after the 2016 election, which still is pretty good for my mental health. Um, mm-hmm. at that moment, yes. just going to a place like Florence with history and the food. Talk a bit about how you met. Um, and, and to just start out the conversation, this is a journey. Um, your, uh, late husband, Mm -hmm. um, is a part of this journey, but talk about how you met him in Italy and then you fall in love because that is the story is, is a journey from beginning to end, but it starts with a big love story. It starts. Yes. And so that was a truly almost as it's depicted on screen, pretty much as it's depicted on screen is how it happened. I was walking with, you know, AKA Sloan, (laughs) um, (laughs) through the streets of Florence. And I think we were on, um, and I can just be very frank about this. I write about it in the book. We were on a liquor run, like she <laughs> get like vodka. Or Relatable. Something. Yeah. She, we were <laughs> on a liquor run and we were talking and I, and we were rounding a corner and I bumped into Sato. Like we physically bumped into each other and, you know, it was like, oh, excuse me, mi scusi, you know, da, da, da. and that was like the end of my Italian. And the two of them began speaking and I noticed him sort of clocking me, but I was 20 and I thought he was cute. Um, but at, at 20, I thought I'm in a country full of cute people. And this is just happens to be another one like that. I was, it wasn't like, this is now the love of my life. But what happened after that is he really in a very, with great intentionality and, and, and great tenacity, quite frankly, pursued me. And from that, I could see that he was a different person and different than anyone else I had met. And, um, and he unfurled for me, Florence, he unfurled for me what like friendship looked like before we were even romantically involved. Mm -hmm. And so the series sort of tries to, it it hits all of those markers. And I think that that base of friendship and the kind of um, willingness for him to show up for me, even Mm -hmm. when I couldn't conceive of love in the way he was already envisioning. And I always say he inducted me into a vision of love that I I was not capable yet of seeing or knowing. It's so beautiful. It's so, so beautiful. And, and Attica, what is it like to hear from your sister? You know, I think I'm falling in love <laughs> in Italy. I mean, I, I feel like, I mean, I, I assume that, you know, Kiki of a conversation was fun and there's a lot of giggling maybe, <laughs> but like, what? It, t- take us inside that conversation. I mean, it, I've always thought of my sisters being kind of like magical and like attracting so much interesting stuff. It fits frankly, that Timmy would get to Italy and find this kind of thing. But I will admit, I was also, I'm younger than Timmy. I was, I was still in high school and I was off with my high school boy. It didn't really become real to me Mm -hmm. until when Sato came to Timmy's college graduation and I really met him and spent time with him. And I was like, oh, I see what's going on here. And then it was like, by then the whole family was like, oh no, this guy's cool. This guy's cool. He's hanging in there with us. He's trying to help dad make some barbecue at Timby's uh, graduation. Uh, it was for for the family. You know, there, there's great drama on screen. And a lot of that drama is true. But but Sauter won everybody over. Talk about blending families because there's you're not just blending cultures. You're b- blending race of family and culture and language and all of that. Talk a bit, yeah. um, Attica, about, about that process and, and how it, you know, it's not always smooth. 
it isn't. I think our parents are not like, you can't do this. They're, they don't do like ultimatums or anything, but they were both a little bit like, huh? They were just a little bit like, what? I'm that What? And it's kind of like the line in the story about these people aren't anything like you. So how are they going to know? I mean, our parents, I guess, had a kind of provincial idea of who, which kind of people belong together. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess you had to have similar backgrounds. On the other side with Sato's family, it was deeper in the sense that it was just a whole scale. Americans, they're all crazy. And then you know, <laughs> throw in a little black, throw in not Catholic on top of Sato having already had a very fraught relationship with his father. So it, it, on, on the surface, it looked like, how was this all going to come together? But over time, the thing that won out was like mutual respect and love. And nobody could have ever looked at Timby and Sato in a room together and not known how much they loved and cared for and took care of each other. Mm. And you have to be a monster to see that and turn your back on it. Oh, and I, so, think, yeah. I think our family saw that love saw the depth of it and you hey this is game recognized game yeah. respect I mean there's nothing to say to something like that except let me get on board yeah and I think for the for for Sato and I I will only say I think you know when I looked back and I was writing the book and certainly when we're shooting the series I can see now that neither of us and neither of our families had a blueprint mm-hmm. for the kind of love and relationship we were trying to create meaning no one in my family of origin had ever dated someone from another country and another mm-hmm. one, right? So they were like, what is that? There was also socioeconomic background differences, right? right? And educational differences. Mm-hmm. My in-laws had, you know, no more than a primary middle school education. My parents have, you know, yeah. multiple degrees, right? So it was also this sort of, how can the, you know, and, and on Sato's family side, they were like, no one had ever dated anyone outside of the town, let alone <laughs> right. you know, the rest of Italy, forget <laughs> out of Europe. I mean, it was just beyond things. So the two of us together understood we were going to have to make our own way and people were going to either come along for the ride and be there to support, or we would have to, you know, let them go in service of our union. It's, it's a beautiful thing. And I think in, in so many ways, I think one of the lines is big love, but also, as I mentioned, big loss. And that's where I think what you're talking about that coming together and everybody deciding, okay, we're going to, um, we see the love, um, in, in the two of you, and we're not going to get in the way we're going to, we're going to come along for the ride. You know, that ride is, is a rocky run. Um, can you tell me, can you talk a bit about, um, how it started as a love story and mm-hmm. it still continued and ended as a love story, but also there were very difficult challenges and um, your late husband's illness and how you turned into a caregiver for a decade. Yeah. I mean, listen, you know, the arc of love over a lifetime, I mean, often means that we are going to meet moments that are unexpected mm-hmm. and hopefully if you do that lovingly, um, you grow, the love grows, it deepens. And so for us, you know, if you'd met me probably three to four years after I met Sato, I was thought, oh my God, our love story is like the cutest love story. It would have all been the meet cute, right? I met mm-hmm. this chef in Italy, boom, yeah. right? That's the love yeah. story, you know, beginning, middle, end, right? But the love for us deepened when 
one, we had to face the obstacle of his parents, who that was the first obstacle, who didn't approve of the union, who didn't come to the wedding, and sort of the two of us together having to sort of surmount that as a couple and come to peace with that was a deepening of our relationship. Mm. After that, when his diagnosis happened, our marriage was thrown out into the stratosphere. I mean, neither one of us, you know, was prepared for what that would look like as individuals, but certainly as a couple. Mm -hmm. Illness takes a toll on a couplehood because each member of that relationship is struggling for to get to higher ground, right? At all times. Mm -hmm. Either you do that struggle together Mm -hmm. or people go to their separate camps and the relationship disintegrates. We chose to lean in and to try to do that work together. And we had to have a lot of hard conversations, but in the process, we were deepening the love. And I, as his caregiver over that decade, you know, was also trying to find myself, mm-hmm. lose myself as a caregiver. And he, as my best friend and partner and lover was like, I need you to be you. I mm-hmm. need you to be all of you. I don't want to be suffering through this devastating illness and also see you losing yourself, then it's two losses. Like, please, please do things that are additive to your life that give you, because that makes me happy. And I want to see that join you. That's love. Mm -hmm. That's a partner saying, yeah, I'm, I'm struggling, but that doesn't mean I want to take you down with me. Right. So, and we became parents during that time too, which also you know, <laughs> deepened our, nobody becomes a parent, period, illness or not. And it doesn't deepen the relationship. It's a, it's so important um, to say that. Um, but, and I think your daughter is like a teenager now. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so, so, much a teenager. It's amazing. Um, I want to sort of um, stick on this topic of caregiving. Um, in my own family, um, my mother um, several years ago had a stroke. And so caregiving is something close to my heart. Caregivers are they need a lot of support. I'm not the primary caregiver for my mom because I do not live in the home, but Mm -hmm. my, my dad and my sister do. And Mm -hmm. I try, I'm like sending groceries. I'm like, you know, just trying to do things, you know, just do things because I know they need the help. Um, you know, Attica, can you talk a bit about the support caregivers need from their extended family members, how caregivers need caregivers too? Yes. Yes. I often describe it as like a, 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 a ring of circles. Mm. Like there's the, there's the people boots on the ground inside the house, the caregivers, then somebody's got to be taking care of them. That's the next ring. Then somebody's gonna be taking care of the caretaker that's taking care of the caretaker. And it just goes in rings like that on and on and on. And it's exactly what you said. It is, it is just showing up with groceries. Yep. Maybe you don't like this type of grape. Maybe you didn't like that brand of paper towels, but something's in the house. There was a period of time where I would never walk into a Target or grocery store without just texting to me, name it, and I'll bring it. And I'll just, you know, you just have to keep kind of uh, showing up and looking out and take care, taking care of them and finding ways to give the caregiver a break mm-hmm. um, to let me be the one to stay in the hospital today. You go take a walk let me be the person to um, uh, do, you know, handle calling the doctors about this, that, and the other, so that you don't have to hold it for the day, that you don't, we don't want to burn our caregivers out. And it is very imperative that even when you feel like I don't know what to do, 
that you simply just show up, yeah. um, show up and sit in the corner until you see a need and then fill it. Yeah, I and that. I, I love that. I would add to that the other thing that people helping the caregiver can do is to gently or sometimes not so gently insist that they take time away. Yes. And so it's and it, and, and by the way, and then do the things that allow them to take time away. So you fill in all the gaps, but you have to stress to them because one of the things I had a hard time doing was relinquishing care. I felt like, oh my God, if I don't have eyes on, yep. you know, then everything's going to fall apart. And, and that's not necessarily true. And I could have stepped away for a movie, right? And yep, have, right. right? Or I could have stepped away for, you know, half of a day, but you're so deep in, in it. And, and you get so used to the react and the response and the, and the, the sort of hypervigilance of caring for another person that you feel like, oh my gosh, if I step away and something isn't done right, right. you know, I, one, will have to pick up the pieces and do, deal with the aftermath of whatever didn't get done right. And two, I'll feel guilty. And so having the person adjacent to gently stress, no, you can. And by the way, it's two hours and in the process, I will have that meal ready. I'll make sure the meds are done. I'll, all the things. Then you feel permission yep. to step away. And when someone said to me, you will be stronger and the mm-hmm. care will be greater yes. if, you have time, if you have time to step away. When they framed it like that, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, okay, you're right. I do need to take two hours away or a half a day or sometimes a day. It's so important. Um, one of the things that I also want to talk about is how this story that we've been talking about comes to be a limited series for Netflix. So Attica, mm-hmm. as the showrunner, how did you take the book um, that your sister wrote and, and translate that to what we see starring Zoe Zeldana? <laughs> um, because it's beautiful. And in some instances, the scenes were shot in the same locations as they really mm-hmm. happened, which is like, um, yeah, it gives me goosebumps even thinking about that. Uh, well, well, Timmy and I together made a decision that when we were going to uh, adapt this, and there's no way in which it was showrunner, and I'll call UT if I need something. Like it's like I have too much respect for Timmy's brain and her way of looking at the world, her lived experience, and as author of the book, as an author of books myself, mm-hmm. like she, we were going to kind of be partners in this, and so. From the beginning, we sat down and just thought about how do we lift it from the page in a way that makes the two entities and the two mediums both different but but complementary of each other. Mm-hmm. And we decided pretty pretty early on that one of the things we wanted to do was go. This, the book is is very mosaic in its structure, and we made a decision to tell the story in a chronological line mm-hmm. to let the audience know early on this is a woman reflecting back on her life but yeah. for the most part to tell it straight in a straight story we felt that was it would be easier for the viewers to be anchored in their emotions mm-hmm. than trying to put together the puzzle of a mosaic structure so that was the first thing and then we you know we hired writers that uh, and and then Timmy and I structured the whole thing we had a basic structure even before we had a writer's room. And mm-hmm. that was based for us on here are the key components that matter that we are, are never taking away. Whatever we add, whatever we might take away, here's what we're not going to take away. Mm-hmm. And it was stuff like, 
making the food in the pilot, the seduction in the restaurant. It was the, the rain scene. It was the difficulty of being an immigrant in LA. It was uh, the diagnosis. It was, you know, all these things of the Lino and his father coming back together. So we kind of to ourselves just arced out a kind of map for the, for the season. And then we hired the writers and essentially we gave ourselves permission to fictionalize pieces as long as they felt in line with and of the essence of the actual true lived experience. Mm. That was our motto. That was our way of going forward. I'm, I, I'm so excited for everybody to binge this. It's like the perfect thing to binge. Um, and in the pandemic, I mean, I, I've had all kinds of lists of like the places I'm trying to travel to. Um, and imagine if you were uh, to meet the love of your life on the street, bump into them like in this, you know, this is going to inspire a lot of people to take some trips. <laughs> let me tell you, um, you, even though as we, we're talking, you know, it's a, it's a love story that is, um, you know, book ended by, by loss. But I think in the process of even reflecting back and in our conversations today, I mean, the love, I can see it through Zoom. Um, coming through in, in what you're saying, Tembi. I mean, talk a bit about who you hope watches <laughs> uh, the limited series. I mean, even if they haven't haven't already read the book, because yeah. I think it's a universal love story that anybody could relate to. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, one of the greatest compliments someone gave me about the book, which I also hope is true for the series, is that the book meets the reader where they are in life. Mm. I have people who are in college who are about to take a study abroad program who are like, oh my God, I read your book and it's fantastic and I'm so excited, right? And then I have on the other spectrum, 60-year-old men who lost a partner, mm. a wife, and they're writing to me about their grief. And I've had children write to me who are the children of immigrants, Italian immigrants. Like, So what I hope that the series does is it meets the viewer where they are and that there's something in it for everyone because it is the arc of a life and it is the young, beautiful, upstart, meet cute, fall in love. Oh my God, we're in for a ride. Kind of like, yes, let's do this. But it's also then the grown up love, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> it's the grown up love of, oh, okay. We, the, the meet cute was great, but now it's, we either go deeper or we separate. Mm -hmm. And that's very real to many yep. people. And it was real to me. Um, I hope mothers and daughters will watch it together. Yeah. I hope husbands and wives will watch it together. Um, I hope people who are caregivers will watch it. I hope anyone who is going through deep grief or no, or has set bedside to someone who is critically ill or is dying will watch it and see their experience reflected back. Um, as well as people who are just great foodies and love to travel yes. and, you know, and what, but anyone who is in for and is interested in the big experiences of life, and that includes big love, and it will also include big life, because the degree to which we grieve is the degree to which we loved. Oh, I love that. together. We just had a conversation recently on the show um, about a book, Grief is Love. And I, yes. I think, I, yeah, it's, it's beautiful, I beautiful. Um, yeah. And it, it's it's really just uh, so true. Um, yeah. And it, I think any great love story, it doesn't end when like, you know, 
they get married. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. end there. That's just the beginning of the, of what hopefully. Um, That's the appetizer. It's just the appetizer. <laughs> Appetizers in Italy are so good. I'm so, like, I need to go back. This is making me like Miss Florence. I I remember there was, a, this is a true story. <laughs> this is a true story. When I was in Florence, one of the days I was like walking with like a full pizza down the street. And I'm like, this is, I'm, I had like pizza and then I took some to go because it was so good. I would eat it yes. more. So yes. I, so for your love, so we started the conversation. You went, cause you love pizza. It is really good in Florence. Yes. No, the pizza is <laughs> a whole other thing. We could have a whole, we could have a whole conversation about, you know, pizza. food. Yes. Yeah. Just food in Italy. Oh, I can, I, I mean, I can imagine falling in love with a chef in Italy. That's gotta be, whew. Cooking, I'm gonna fall in love with. Well, it's making me hungry. Um, (laughs) Attica and Tempe, thank you so much. I love that you are sisters working together to tell the story and bring it to the world. It's so amazing. It's a Netflix series based on the New York Times bestseller from scratch, streaming right now. Thank you for being here. It was so terrific to talk to you. This was an honor. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Zerlina. Check in for new episodes every weekday.